Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, everybody. Great to see you today. How many of you know there's a big game this afternoon? Yeah, a few of you. All right. So I've got two jokes for you, all right? What do you get when you have a basement full of Michigan State fans? A wine cellar. Why do the University of Michigan fans, why do they keep their diploma on their dashboards? So they can park in the handicapped parking spot. <laughs> so I got you no matter who you vote for, I got you covered. I got you covered. We are equally offending Opportunity Church here. <laughs> All right. Hey, we're going to be leaving for uh, Israel tomorrow. A bunch of you are going with us. Uh, follow us on your favorite social and uh, we'll be posting where we're at, what's going on while we're there. But today, I want to talk to you about the journey that a Christian takes to become a disciple. Now, when Jesus arose from the dead, he's with his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, and he spoke to them. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So in other words, redemption has been purchased. Now, here's what you need to do. Go, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now notice Jesus said, make disciples. In other words, there is a process. The moment that you receive the Lord, you're probably not all the way through that process. In fact, what we do here at this church, somebody says, what do they do with that crazy church you go to? We only, our goal is only two things. We want to win souls and make disciples. Win souls, make disciples. Why do we do missions? To win souls, make disciples. Why do we have a children's ministry? To win souls and make disciples. Why do we do service? To win souls and make disciples. That's what we're, that, was, that is what we are all about. I remember when I became a Christian, I was 20 years old. I'd been brought up in church. I knew, about, I knew about church, but I was not right with God. And I really, really thought if I become, if I give my life to the Lord, I, I, I will never have another good time in my whole life. Life is going to be a drag, but at least I won't go to hell. And the reason I got saved was, was so I, I wouldn't go to hell. I said this before, but that is a good reason to get saved. But that is not where you should stay. By the way, Jesus said, don't fear him who kills the body, but fear him who has the power to throw you into everlasting torment. That's a good reason to get saved, but it's not a good place to stay. Other people, they get saved for the benefits of being a Christian. In fact, David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, forgives all of my iniquities, heals all of my diseases, redeems my life from destruction, crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagle. He's your hiding place, your strong tower, your provider, your shields, your healer, your victory, your righteousness. There are benefits. And again, that's all right. That's a good, that, that is a great reason to get saved. But that's not where we should stay. In fact, 
Honestly, if all we're doing is coming to the Lord for the benefits, we're just a consumer. We're not, we're not disciples. We are involved in consumer Christianity. Good place to start, but not a good place to end. And then there are some people, I would just call them cultural Christians. They, they believe that they're a Christian because they live in America. I mean, uh, I went to church all my life, so I must be a Christian. My goodness, look at here, I'm in church. Well, you know what? If you find yourself in a garage, that doesn't make you a car. But just being in church does not make you a Christian. It doesn't make you a Christian. See, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He just has children. And we think, well, I was brought up in a Christian home. Yeah, but, but you need to personally, personally receive him as your Lord and your Savior. In fact, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, when Jesus is saying, hey, he's talking about a comparison here. What he's saying is that when you, you, you need to love me, to serve me, to honor me, to put me in first place more than father, mother, children, spouse, anybody else. You know, when you come to Jesus to become a disciple, you are all in, no surrender, no retreat, no backing up. Jesus is number one. You see, and that's the way he needs to be. He needs to be the Lord of our life. In fact, as Paul is writing to Timothy about this, he says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You see, disciples are soldiers. They're soldiers of the Lord. And notice it says endure hardship. What most of us want is easy, convenient. Hey, on Sunday, maybe right before I, 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 I eat, I'll say a prayer. But Jesus is saying it's much, much more. It's don't, you need to endure hardship as a good soldier. What Jesus is saying, or excuse me, what Paul is saying, is that being a Christian is not easy. Some people say it's a crutch. Well, that, that consumer Christianity is a crutch. Discipleship is not a crutch. It is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who uh, ultimately gave his life for his faith in World War II in a Nazi concentration camp said, when Jesus calls someone, he bids him to come and die. To become his disciple, you need to die to yourself. In Ephesians 4, in verse 13, it says, until finally we all believe alike about our salvation and about our Savior, God's Son, and all become full-grown in the Lord. Yes, to the point of being filled full of Christ. How many of you know nobody's born full-born, full-grown? Full we aren't born full-grown. But that's the process that we go through as we grow in Christ and we become his disciples. Other translations say mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, Jesus said that a disciple who is fully taught is like his teacher, like his instructor. And as we go through this process of becoming disciples, what happens is we mature more and more and become more and more like Jesus. 
but it takes a commitment that we will die to ourselves and we will follow him. For everybody, listen, this is everybody, there is a next step. No matter who you are, whether you've been a Christian for 90 minutes or 90 years, there is a next step to becoming more like Jesus, to becoming a totally committed disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, for some people, their next step might be as simple as getting baptized in water. The Bible says to repent and believe, and then to be baptized. Baptism comes after the repenting and believing. If you haven't been baptized since you believe, that's the next step for you. For some, it's serving. For some, it's giving at a new level that you haven't done before. For somebody else, it might be growth track. For somebody, it's getting free from an addictive behavior. Or it might be starting your quiet time where every day you take time and you're in the Word of God and you spend time in prayer. But there is a next step, there is a next level for every single one of us. We need to keep on stretching, we need to keep on growing, uh, we become more and more like him. Right. It means for some of us, listen, giving up a person. I'm not talking about your spouse, by the way. Behavior, possessions. A disciple gives up everything and anything so nothing gets in the way of their love for Jesus. They're following Jesus so they can worship, so they can serve. And literally, when we, when we get that totally committed, totally committed heart, see, the way we see everything changes. What we see for entertainment, the way that we, we uh, engage with our family, with our children, uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, Genesis chapter 18, they're talking about our passing our faith onto our children. And it, it says, that thing I'm teaching you today, it needs to be in your heart. And then you shall diligently teach them. But it's got to be in your heart first. But when you become a totally committed follower of Jesus, all of your priorities, everything changes. The way you see money changes. It's no longer your security. It's not something that gives you position. It's not power. It becomes something that you use to worship, something that you use to bless, something you use to help. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to listen to this because this will, this will show you God's perspective, which is going to be different than your and my perspective. Ephesians 4, 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. How many think that's good? If you stole, cut it out. But rather let him labor working with his hands that which is good. Get a job. How many think that's good? All right. Listen. <laughs> that he may have something to give to him that's in need. What we typically think of, the first thing we think of is we think of something for me, right? I get a job so I can provide for my needs, my desires, my family, my house, and that's good. That's good. But notice what the Bible says, get a job so you have something to give. Listen, this is, this is why it says that, because whenever any money comes to you or to me, there's a part that's not meant for you. There's a part that's not meant for me. There's a part that's meant for you to give. And it's not what's left over, it's the 
first part. We honor God when? With the leftovers? We honor him first. We honor him first. And so when, when, when the Bible is talking about this, it's, the first thing it says, it says that he may have to give because that's what we do with the first portion. Now with what's left over after everything else is taken care of. You know, so often to us, money is our security. It, re it represents that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay because. I, I remember when Jeannie and I graduated from uh, Bible college and we went to Mexico. We went to school in Dallas and we, we came here and we said goodbye to my mother, to my, my siblings. My father had already passed and a few friends. And we went to Washington where Jeannie was from, said goodbye to her family and to her friends and went to Mexico. And we did not raise so much as $5. You say, how much money did you have? How much money did you raise? Was somebody going to support you? No, no, no churches, nobody. We just went. And you say, why did you do that? Well, we've, we weren't trusting in money. We were trusting in, in the Lord. In fact, we hadn't been there very long, maybe four or five months, when uh, a man came from California from Melody Land Christian Center, which back in the day, in the late 70s, that was like the premier church in America. And we were getting a lot of literature from them that we were handing out on the streets, along with uh, the young people that were in our church. And, and so he came down just to find out who we were. He called us up, says, I'm coming, pick me up. So we pick him up at the airport. He stays with us for a few days. And he's getting ready to leave. And he says to me, he says, I'm really impressed with your, your, your ministry in the downtown area of, of Guadalajara and everything that you guys are doing. He said, how much support do you have? And we said, none. And he said, what do you mean? You don't have any churches? And I said, no. He says, any people? I said, no, we don't have any monthly support at all. And he says, my good. He says, I'm telling you right now. He said, our church will support you, I believe, $1,000 a month. We're like, oh. He said, but I promise you $500 a month. And this is what I said. I said, oh, no, don't do that. We want our ministry to be blessed by God. We were dumber than a rock. Really, really. I mean, like, he said, oh, we'll do this. I said, no, no, we want our ministry to be blessed by the Lord, not by people. Somebody says, have you changed? Try me. <laughs> How many of you know who God uses? People. In fact, he says, shall men give into your bosom? God uses people. But I, I just say that to say this. Our confidence was not in some support, some money that we had coming. Our confidence was in God. And literally, we just saw, it was three and a half years before the first church started to support us. And we just saw God do miracle after miracle after miracle. When we became the pastors of this church, I, I don't know if I was, I think I'd been hired for two months before I found out what my salary was. I didn't care. I'd have done it for free. How many of you know you don't, have to do ministry. You get to. You get to. It's, with, with God, it's never, I've got to do this. It's, I get to do this. And you pay me besides, like, oh, 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 it's great. It's awesome. But it, we didn't do it for the money. Now, we knew God was going to take care of us, and we figured the church had something in mind. I'm sure they did. But that wasn't the reason that we came. Now, I want to ask you a question. In fact, I want to ask you two questions. If Jesus was in charge of your money, what would you be doing different? 
And if Jesus was in charge of your calendar, what would you be doing different? See, because when you're a disciple, you deny yourself, you take up your cross daily, and you follow him. We, we surrender. But when we, when we refuse to surrender, listen, our passions weigh, and there literally is like we get a new layer of apathy. In Hebrews chapter 3, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. See, when the Spirit of God is speaking to us about our calendar, about our finances, and we don't surrender our passion ways, and it's like this layer of apathy comes. He says, you harden your heart. It gets harder to obey the next time. It gets harder to hear the next time. It is worth surrendering everything to God so you can walk with God. In Genesis 5, there's that story of Enoch, and it says, and he walked with God. That is the extraordinary life of a disciple, walking with God. It says in Ephesians 2, in verse 10, it says, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he has set so we could walk in them, living the good life he prearranged and made ready for us. So the, the Bible is saying here that every single person here, that God has prepared good works for you to do, and he's made paths ready for you to take, every one of us. And if we're not in it, if we're not doing that, it's because we haven't surrendered. Because when we surrender, he will move us to that place that we need to be in. And, and I love what it says, living the good life that he prearranged and made ready for us. People have the idea, seriously, if I ever surrender to God, my life will be miserable. I remember when I got saved, I thought, I'll never have fun again, but at least I won't go to hell. Now, the exact opposite was, hap was, was what, what happened. But that wasn't what I thought was going to happen. People think if I surrender to God, he will have me marry an ugly person and move to the darkest part of the planet. I'll be out in the Amazon somewhere drinking water from the Amazon River and eating snakes and grasshoppers. But the truth is, listen, when you were in your mother's womb, God formed you and created you. He gave you gifts. He gave you talents. And, and the, the, the way that he created you was so that you could do the good works that he's prearranged and made ready for you to do. And there will never be anything, any way that you could live that will bring you more joy, more peace, more purpose than the way that God created you, doing the things he created you to do. Now, the paradox of following Jesus is to be great, Jesus said you had to become the servant of all. He says, you're not great when a lot of people serve you. He says, you're great when you serve a lot of people. He said, to find your life, you need to give your life. He said, to be full You've got to empty yourself and deny yourself. He said, to have true riches, you need to give generously. To save your life, you've got to give your life to Jesus. Be passionately, totally devoted to Jesus. Paul describes a life 
that's transformed in its purpose, its motives, its desires under the direction of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In fact, these two verses deal more with Christian living than, than any other spot in the entire Bible. But I'm just going to read a little bit of it from the Message Bible. It says, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Look at me a moment. We think that to please God, we've got to be doing something spiritual. We've got to be doing something that has to do with the Bible, with prayer, with fasting, with, with laying down our life for somebody, doing something spectacular. But what Martin Luther said almost 500 years ago is still true today. He said, the milkmaid that milks the cow and the pastor that, serves, that, that preaches the sermon both equally serve the Lord Christ. Equally serve the Lord Christ. In other words, it doesn't need to be something in church for you to be serving God. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you walk around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. You're sleeping, eating, working, walking around, shopping life, at home life, every bit of it. He says, when you're walking with God, when you're committed to him, when he's in charge of your calendar, every bit of it is serving God equally. It doesn't need to be something that you think of as being spiritual. Your everyday life in the kingdom of God, whether you're a banker, a teacher, a machine operator, a domestic coordinator, a mother, a salesperson, we think, well, I, to serve God, I've, I've got to be like Billy Graham or, or Joyce Myers. Not at all. God wants you to serve him, to walk with him, to be his disciple in your everyday life. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, we, we have a society today that, that desperately needs to see how a disciple of Christ who is a teacher lives, a disciple of Christ who's a builder lives, a disciple of Christ who's a machine operator lives, a disciple of Christ who's a salesperson, how do they live? A disciple of Christ who's a mother and a homemaker, how do they live? We, Jesus said, they'll see your good works, they'll glorify your Father who is in heaven. Psalms 119, verse 35. Make me walk along the paths of your command, for that is where my happiness is found. That is where my happiness is found. Your happiness will not be found running around trying to find it the way that the world does. In fact, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he said, when you go out and you look for it like that, he said, it's like grasping for the wind. 
What a great illustration today. You go outside after service and you try to grab that win. You're going to end up empty every single time. Whether it's in fame, money, sex, whether it's in, in the pursuit of, of some sport or some hobby or family or whatever it is, when you reach for that and think, this will make me happy, he said, when you get it, he said, you'll open your hand and it will be empty. It will be empty. But the psalmist said, it's in following you that my happiness is found. He created you. He knows exactly what you need. And when a disciple connects with God on that level, you, you, your life becomes extraordinary, an extraordinary identity, an extraordinary joy, an extraordinary security, an extraordinary peace, an extraordinary purpose, a desire to be used by God, valuing the kingdom of God over man's kingdom, prioritizing Jesus over anybody or anything else, willing to pay any price to follow Jesus. Your life becomes extraordinary. I think it was about 10 years ago that at our business luncheon, we had invited a speaker to come. Uh, his name is Stanley Tan. Now, at the time, he was in his early 90s. He's still alive. He's 103. He started a business in the 1930s. And at one point, nearly went bankrupt. And in fact, in between himself and his father, they got $37 together to keep the business going. $37. Well, he submitted his, his business to Christ, in fact, uh, to the point that he succeeded and he got an attorney to put the ownership of his company in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he set his salary and has lived on that salary ever since and uh, now has given away over $140 million to spread the gospel. 140 million. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that God's telling you to do that, but you need to do whatever it is that God tells you to do. See, my question when I hear that and when I heard it, I just had one question. Any regrets? Any regrets? You know his answer, don't you? Not a single regret. Not a single regret. And the Bible talks about Moses who was brought up in the family of Pharaoh, the wealthiest, most influential family on planet Earth. And the Bible says that he turned his back on everything Egypt had to offer because he looked to his reward. He looked to his reward. And disciples do more than look at this life. Disciples realize we are just on a pilgrimage. We are passing through. And there is a reward. In fact, Hebrews 11 says this. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The number one thing God wants you to know about him is he is a rewarder. And it makes a difference what you do. It doesn't save you because you pray, but you're going to be rewarded. 
It doesn't save you because you reach down to somebody who's destitute and marginalized, but you will be rewarded. It doesn't save you when you pray and fast, but believe me, you will be rewarded. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to other people. We don't belong to any organization or pursuit. You belong to Jesus. The Bible says he redeemed you. He bought you with the price of his blood. And he owns you. He owns me, spirit, soul, and body. And the disciples' prayer is this. Fill me, command me, use me. I am yours. 2 Corinthians 5.15, for he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We should no longer live for ourselves. We should deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? The culture that we live in believes that good people go to heaven. If you were to ask most people, do you believe you're going to go to heaven? They will say yes. And when you ask them why, they will say, I'm a good person. I am better than most. But the Bible does not tell us that good people go to heaven. The Bible tells us that forgiven people go to heaven. Not good, but forgiven. See, Jesus said there's just one way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except by me. You see, everybody is welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. Everyone can meet the requirements. But your way will not get you to heaven any more than my way will get me to heaven. There's just one way. And Jesus said, I am the way. So he said this, he said, you must be born again. What that means is you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. And stop living for yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. And you'll become a brand new person on the inside. That's the only way. Now, you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. And you say, well, I know about God. But all of us do. We celebrated Easter. We celebrated Christmas. Now listen, being right with God, salvation is not about your head. It's not about what you know. It's about your heart. See, Jesus said, you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. Salvation is about your heart. And if you haven't given Jesus all of your heart and all of your life, you still have it. He's not a manipulator to trick you to giving it, a thief to steal it. And the truth is, if you haven't given it to him, you still have it. And you need to give it to him. He says, today is the day of salvation. If you're here today and you say, I want to be right with God. I want to give Jesus my heart and my life. I want to receive the forgiveness that he has for me. I want to be born again. I, I want to go to heaven and not hell. I want to serve him. I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, would you please lift your hand? And then what's, what's going to happen? We're going to pray together. And God's going to meet you right here this morning in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. So when I say three, I want you to lift that hand. Please lift that hand.
And as you lift your hand, the first thing you're going to be saying to God is this, God, I know I'm a sinner in need of Savior, and I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, today I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to hold nothing back. Two. Now get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today I'm going to receive him. I'm going to receive his forgiveness. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to make me new. I'm going to be a part of his family on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Pray with me. I'm not right, but I want to get right. I see that hand and that hand and that hand. And two more over here. A hand up front here. Two more. A hand in the back. Somebody else over here to my left. Thank you. God bless you all the way in the back. Up in the balcony. Somebody include me, Pastor. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Another. Thank you. God bless you. Would everyone please stand, but nobody moving, please, unless it's absolutely necessary. Now, if you lifted your hand, would you please look right at me? Would you please move to the aisle that's nearest you, wherever that is. Now, bring the person you came with, bring your coat, bring your Bible, bring your purse, whatever you need, but make your way right down here, and God is going to meet us right here. We're going to pray, and in a moment, when we say amen, your path is going to be gone. You are going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. This is your day. Most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. Changing an eternal destiny and your life today. And if you're in the balcony, please make your way down. We're going to wait for you. We're going to pray together. God's going to meet you right here today. Your life is never going to be the same again. Come on over this way, would you please? Awesome. Now, Jesus said, when you confess me before men, he said, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. Come right this way, would you please? All right. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Awesome. I'm coming from the balcony. All right. Now, this verse, you realize this is in the Bible. God can't lie. This is what he says. He says, whosoever, that means you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, every one of you, will call on the name of the Lord. Now, we are going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to, right? So that's, you're going to, you're the, whosoever, we're going to pray this together. You're going to pray from your heart, right? Now, here's the promise. Will be saved. So you pray this from your heart. And when we say amen, you're going to be saved. You're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a part of the family of God. You say, what if I don't feel something? It doesn't matter what you feel. Right? God didn't say, this works if you feel. He said, you pray this from your heart. He said, I will hear your prayer. And you will be saved. All right. So everybody, please, one hand over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. And let's pray together. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe that he rose again. And I believe he's coming again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I receive your forgiveness 
for all of my sins. Past, present, future. I thank you, you've heard my prayer. That I'm a part of your family. That you love me. And that I'm yours. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wow! We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.